You are Locked On the NFL, your daily NFL podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Well, hello, hello from Indy. I am Matt Williamson. This is the Locked On NFL podcast. We're recording a little later than usual here on Wednesday, but I still have Mark Schofield with us and very excited to talk to him. But I've been on the air from noon to four, and that'll be the case on Thursday and Friday on Steeler Nation Radio. And you could get the iHeart app and listen to me. We do a lot more than just Steelers. Had guys like Greg Cosell on today. You know, everybody's walking around, and I just grab guests left and right. I think Matthew Berry's probably going to join us tomorrow. So, Mark, how are you doing, man? And you got to come join me next week. I, I know. I got to get out to Indy for this one. I'm surprised you still have a voice. Are you like drinking the tea and honey and <laughs> know, keeping, right. keeping your instrument fresh as you get through this week, man? Yeah, I just got off the air, I don't know, 20 minutes or so ago. Um, haven't gotten to many of the updates from the combine. Right now, it's just O-line and running backs are doing medicals and weigh-ins and that type of thing. And then tomorrow, those guys will be at the podiums right next to us. And then they'll be doing the bench right next to us, too. So... It, it, things will start happening a lot more tomorrow. But I think the biggest news of the Combine today for the players, for the, the incoming rookies, was Jonah Williams. And you have the numbers in front of you. I'm curious. You know, I, I know what they are, but let's talk about him a little bit. Yeah, and you know, let's sort of set the framework where you know he measured in 6'4 and a half, 302 with 33 and 5 eighths inch arms. And yeah. that has touched off sort of what we can sort of refer to as wingspan or arm length Twitter. You know, and I see this from the quarterback point of view all the time. When they start measuring those hands, if you don't get that sort of nine and a quarter or nine and a half inch hand size, you start to wonder about a guy. Mm -hmm. And so this has sort of touched off the discussion. Can Jonah Williams play left tackle in the NFL? You know, this is a guy that made 43 straight starts at Alabama at left tackle in the SEC, facing top tier competition, at least once they get to the playoffs. And now you're talking about him potentially kicking inside the guard because his arms aren't magically at that 34-and-a-half-inch length that NFL teams apparently want to see, even though if you sort of look at left tackles and tackles in the NFL, the average arm length is more in the 33 range, which mm-hmm. kind of hits. So it's an interesting that it's, this happens, and you know you can speak to this as well as anybody, Matt. This happens every combine. Somebody comes in with some sort of arm length issue or hand size issue, and people start to sort of rethink everything that they've seen on film, and particularly from a guy like Jonah Williams, that, as we've said, 43 straight starts at left tackle. Yeah, and this one to me, Kyler Murray is going to be the way in. You know, I mean, that's yeah. going to be the one that everyone pays most attention to. But I think this might have been number two on my list of getting height, weight, arm length, and I thought his hands were over 10. That was great. Um, but I didn't feel like it was necessarily a loss for him. I kind of felt like it was a tie. No. You know what I mean? Like it yeah. was a push. It, it, what's interesting is obviously I come to this from sort of a, sort of a Patriots perspective because mm-hmm. it just took you know, Isaiah Win. That's a they great just yeah. Took right. Isaiah Win, who doesn't have the magical numbers, and when he was asked about it, you know, during rookie minicamp, you know, Dante Scarnecchi said, "Look, you know." People are talking about him kicking inside because he doesn't have long arms. We had Matt Light, who had that sub-34 inch length of his arms, and he was a pro bowl, all pro type tackle for us. And so arm length is like one thing you can look at, but can you still play the position just because a person doesn't meet some sort of threshold isn't, in some cases, a complete bar to them being successful at their position of choice. And Jonah Williams has shown you on tape over again, and I keep harping on this, 
43 straight starts at left tackle in the SEC that he can play the position. Are we now going to suddenly kick him inside to a brand new position because he doesn't meet that threshold and ignore what he's done on those 43 games in terms of tape? Now, if you want to have the discussion that, okay, well, he doesn't meet this threshold, so maybe he's not, you know, tackle one. You know, maybe he's more like tackle two or tackle three. Maybe you want to tinker with a bit. Maybe you think he's more of a later first-round pick as a result. Maybe, but I think going the position switch route is a bit overboard when we've never seen him really play guard. Yeah, and I kind of mixed feelings on this one. And Ross Tucker, who I hosted a podcast with for a long time, often said, that if he could change anything about himself as a football player, he would have added arm length. So, yeah. and I didn't need Ross to tell me that, that that's important in this position and trying to get your arms extended on a guy trying to bear into you. It, it certainly is an advantage to have long arms. But I don't think, if he would have come in with 32 inch arms, 31 and right. a half, you know, I would have been like, ooh, he's probably a guard. But yeah. with this measurement, I kind of looked at it like, and you've probably seen him more on tape than I have. I kind of looked at it like, boy, Jonah Williams now is a really safe, injuries aside, probably long-term starting NFL tackle. And there just isn't 64 of them that are 6'7 with vines for arms. Yeah, I think that's a perfect way to put it, Matt. And, you know, when you look at what he's done on film, when you look at... You know, some of the concerns like you you mentioned the injuries, for example, and, you know, some of the things there that you might worry about. And you have this arm length issue. Maybe he doesn't be, fit into that elite category now, but he sort of, I think, like you said, tied it, kind of checked the yeah, box. It wasn't draw. a home run, but it was like a, a wall ball double type situation where, you know, we could have had a much worse situation. You know, like you said, if he comes in with some of those numbers you just put out there, then you are talking, look. I don't know if he can have the length. You know, we'd have to really see to make it work. But you've got to have the belief that a backup plan moving him to guard is a viable plan B. Now, I think you could still draft him in the first round as a left tackle, and have some belief that he's going to be successful there. You know, if you're worried about the arm length because it wasn't as bad as people thought it might have been. Right. And if I'm taking him, I'm going to the podium and saying Jonah Williams, offensive tackle from Alabama, putting him probably right in my starting lineup. Probably have a big need there. And you kind of alluded to this. Let's say it doesn't go so well. Maybe he struggles with length or, you know, a Montez Sweat type of guy. Right. You know, um, then, then you have the fallback plan. I mean, I bet he'd still be a heck of a guard. I don't think yeah. he's Brandon Schreff where I'm drafting him, plugging him in a guard and just hoping he becomes a pro bowler. He's a tackle until he fails. I think that's the right way to handle guys like this. And again, to make the Isaiah Wynn comparison, I think that's how the Patriots are going to handle him. They used him pretty much primarily at, you know, tackle for the most part last preseason. That's when he got hurt. You know, they're moving around left tackle, right tackle, trying to figure out where he could fit. You know, and I think assuming Trent Brown moves on, that will be their plan to put him at left tackle and see if it works. They might, you know, grab a free agent or they might draft somebody, say, on day two, like, if you know, if somebody like they, that they like foster them. But I think you try this person at left tackle, given what you've seen on film. And then if it doesn't work out, well, you're not going to write off a first round draft pick. You're certainly going to try then to kick them inside to guard. And so, you know, this idea that some people are putting out now that, you know, teams are going to shy away from him. Teams are going to immediately plug him in at guard. You know, I think that's a bit of an overreaction, which we do tend to see during the scouting combine, overreactions to numbers like this. Yeah, I'd be really shocked if he's outside the top 12 or so. I mean, 
you don't think Cincinnati could use this guy or I know <laughs> if, if I mean, he starts yeah. falling if if he's on the board at like 12 13 14 and you've got a need for tackle get on the phone right like if he starts he's not going to let you down like, he's not going to let you down I don't think right. I mean from from watching Alabama from studying to a like the kid can play yeah. and don't overthink like a half an inch here or there I, I totally agree I think you and I are on the same page on this one um, I'm going to take a quick break probably going to be somewhat of a quicker show today um, I'll be back here in a moment all right, we are back, and the other big news in the NFL today was the Eagles announced they're going to allow Nick Foles to test free agency, and it was interesting because their booth is right next to ours, and Howie Rosen was there, and Peterson, and there was a lot of buzz around the Eagles today, um, microphones in their face all over the place, and Mark, I think you and I have had this conversation, but these next months are my favorite times of the year for the NFL I miss watching football, don't get me wrong, but I love reading the tea leaves, as Sigmund Bloom says, that yep. when these moves are made, there's a reason. And if you're adept at doing this, which I think both of us are, you can start to figure out, okay, they're releasing Timmy Jernigan. They're going to allow Foles to leave and not try to turn that into a draft pick. Well, what's that mean for the Eagles? To me, that means... This is a very, very aggressive front office. And I'm not saying they're going to go trade for Antonio Brown, but I bet there's a big addition coming to this team. I think that's right. And I think it can tell us, you know, similar to what you were saying, Matt, the reason why this is such a great time of the year is you start to get a feeling for how coaching staffs and front offices sort of view their roster, view the weaknesses that they have, perhaps, mm -hmm. view the strengths that they have, the things that they need to address. And so when you look at this decision, it, it makes sense from an economic standpoint, first of all, because they were kind of up against the cap. You know, and if they were going to sort of like tag and franchise them and then look to trade them, like that, they were going to have to do some things there. I know the cap can kind of be a myth at times, but they were sort of up against it. You know, but when you look at this roster, They've got some areas that they might want to address. You know, if they're going to let, you know, Jerrigan test free agency, Haloni Nata is another defensive tackle. Obviously, there's, you know, they might have Jason to go Peters in a different direction there. Go. Jason Peters, yeah. you know, so they might be in the market for some offensive line help. There's some things that they need to address. And look, we, we just got to talk, you know, Trent Brown might be out there. You know, they, they might want to do something like that. And so this gives them a little bit more potential flexibility, not technical flexibility yet because they were still up against the cap. But it, you can see them start to make some moves. And look, Howie Roseman, you know, executive of the year type guy, the year they won a Super Bowl. He's done some things to set them up. And let's not forget, they are in that rookie quarterback window. Right. They still have Carson Wentz for a couple more years on his relatively inexpensive deal. They like Sudfeld, who's their third string guy. I've, I've been told that they really like Nate Sudfeld. So I, I don't imagine them sort of thinking they need to go out and get a quarterback just in case Wentz doesn't pan out. You know, maybe they take a flyer on a day three guy. Maybe they grab somebody sort of off the free agency scrap heap. You know, this isn't uh, they feel that there are other things that they can address. They like Nate Sudfeld. They can go piece some different things together they're going to be in a good position provided once comes back fully healthy to make yet another run into the playoffs and perhaps beyond yeah i'm glad you mentioned sudfeld because i think he's a key component here too they're not going to go sign Tannehill or tyrod taylor no. i mean he's the number two and i think they trust him they like him if he has to start a game or two so be it you know we know wentz is an injury history um and i do think that they will be in the market for a big name or two, and there's a lot of different spots that they could probably address, too. And maybe it is Antonio Brown. I don't know that that's incredibly far-fetched. Um, yeah, I mean, they could yeah, do something like that. You know, they could, you know, 
it's easy to look at a guy like Antonio Brown and say, look, that would be the guy that would make a ton of sense. And it would. You know, you, you put him across the field from Alshon Jeffrey. Right. You know, that's a situation Ertz, where you've Goddard. got. You know, Ertz, Goddard. You could see a 12 personnel package with Ertz, Goddard, Jeffrey, and Antonio Brown on the field. And that's a tough matchup situation from a defensive perspective because you've got basically three matchup type guys in Brown, Goddard, and Ertz. And then Jeffrey, who's one of those ball winner types, although, yeah, he had the play at the end of the playoff game. But sure, but he's, he's usually player, one of those right. ball winner type guys that on third and seven, if he's covered on a curl route, you can still trust he's probably going to win at the catch point. And so that's tough to defend. You know, and they've they've you know got Golden Tate in the mix, of course, and some of the other guys. They like Mac Hollins, but that would be a nice little splash type move for them. And so, I think this is again setting them up. I think you know with Foles out of the mix, a name to watch in sort of that day three range would be Gardner Minshew. And I know he's not the most exciting quarterback prospect, but you watch a lot of what the Eagles do offensively. You see a lot of air raid concepts. Obviously, Minshew comes from that school. You know, you've got mesh, you've got, you know, Y wheel, you've got running back wheel and stuff like that, that Minshew's been running, that Foles was running, that Wentz will be running, that Sudfeld will run. And so if they decide that, look, we, we still want to have somebody just in case that sort of emergency quarterback, he's a name to watch, I'd say, on day three. Yeah, so the other side of this, obviously, is the other 31 teams. You know, Foles is not going to be an Eagle. Um, there's five or six teams that certainly are in a bad position with their quarterback situation. Let's start with what Foles is. I know on the biggest stage and in some playoff games, he was magnificent. I don't trust him at all. I, I just don't. I mean, yeah. when Wentz was hurt, he was bad. I think he's very, not dependent on the scheme, but sure benefited from it in Philly. And he's a roller coaster. There's not a lot of consistency with him. He's a very inconsistent quarterback that when he gets into rhythm and when he gets hot and he gets to play with confidence, he can be successful. I mean, you look at that, you know, NFC Championship game into the Super Bowl run that they had, you know, with that, that Vikings game and then that Patriots Super Bowl. He was playing confident. He was playing basically, you can almost say, with house money because nobody expected him to be there. People might not have thought the Eagles, when Wentz went down, would have gotten to that point. And so he was sort of playing carefree. And similarly, when Wentz went down again and he started, you know, some of those games down the stretch to get them into a playoff position, you know, they were on the outside looking in. People didn't think they could maybe make a run. And so you're playing with that sort of attitude. But then once they got in, he seemed to struggle a bit at times. And he is inconsistent as a passer. I do think he needs some schematic help. He will need some help around him. He will need some ball winners like an Alshon Jeffrey who can win at the catch point for him because there are times where he will force throws into traffic. I think that there are some things that he does that you do like from an aggression standpoint. When he saw cover one, you know, he was going to throw vertical routes. I mean, he was like, look, you know, that's what I'm going to do. Similar to Sudfeld. Maybe that's what Doug Peterson likes. Um, But still, that being said, you could look at the rest of the available quarterbacks out there in free agency or via potentially trade or this draft class and say, given all the other guys that are out there, maybe it still makes sense to go get this guy. Now, the numbers Mm -hmm. are going to be interested because it might be a bigger contract than you might want to pay for. But, you know, does a team want to overpay for a Nick Foles or roll the dice on a Haskins, a Kyler Murray, a Drew Locke, or a Daniel Jones? Like, you know, that's a tough question, and that's what I'm not ready to answer. It's a, it's a dicey one either way. I think there are pros and cons to both approaches. Yeah, absolutely. And I do think he probably will be overpaid by Jacksonville or whomever, yeah. Washington, whomever. Um, and something you were kind of getting at was 
when when you're the backup and you step in, you're kind of playing with house money. You know that you can play free and loose. You can take a couple extra risks. And I do get the impression that his teammates love him, that he's tough and he is aggressive, and that goes a long way with your you know the other guys out there. But it's different when you're going to play 16 games in Jacksonville. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you're yeah. the you're the guy, and people know who you are, and they game plan you week after week. I just think that's a whole different ball game. Yeah. I mean, what, what's sort of the old adage? Who's the most popular player in like 28 NFL cities? It's the backup quarterback, right? <laughs> sure, sure. You know, and, and so when Foles is the backup and you've got Wentz in place and you know he's the face of the franchise and the future and all that. We should trade Wentz. <laughs> right, yeah. right, right. Yeah, sure exactly. you could, yeah. Um, but it's different when you come in and you get that big contract and you're the man. And let's face it, okay? I love the guy where I'm going to mention next. But what happens when he goes to Jacksonville, gets sort of a decent big size deal, and he goes out in week one and throws four picks, and the reporters get into the locker room post game, and you see that mass of people around Jalen Ramsey's locker. Right, okay? right, right. Because I mean, Jalen Ramsey, quarterback evaluator extraordinaire, as we saw last season in GQ, he might have a thing or two to say. And so it could be a situation where he was beloved in Philadelphia and with reason. He brought them a Super Bowl. People love, love him there. But everybody loves the backup quarterback. You know, when you're the guy and then you make mistakes, people's attitudes change and they can change in a hurry. And locker rooms can change and change in a hurry. And this was already a fractured locker room because of Blake Bortles. This could be Blake Bortles 2.0 if he gets that big deal and doesn't pan out. Yeah, I, I really worry how that's going to work. And I just think Jacksonville's making – I mean, I'm putting the cart before the horse. I don't know if they're going to do this or not. But I feel like they're making a mistake thinking that 2017 was the norm – and the 2018 was the aberration because I think they're closer to the 2018 team. Yeah, I think that's a pretty fair assessment of it. And they've got decisions to make themselves. You know, when you look at, for example, some of the contracts that are going to be coming up for them, you know, they, they've got to start playing some of these guys on the defensive side of the ball. And so, you know, how much are they going to go down the road of we're going to put money at a Nick Foles and when you look at, say, for example, I'm trying to pull up their cap page right now, but it's bad. They're like the Eagles a, a week ago, right? They got a couple yeah, Lee Jackson, mean, if, or right, yeah, yeah. They've they've got just cap space right now, according to over the cap of just 10 million. Which, again, look, you know, you can do some things with the cap, but right. some of their bigger players start coming off the books here soon. You know, right. they'll have to make some decisions. And you know, who would you rather have in the mix? Would it be a Jalen Ramsey, who's a corner one, who's under contract? It looks like for just one more year, I think. Or would you want Nick Foles? Or would you rather start having to make these decisions when you're you have the flexibility that you get with a Dwayne Haskins or a Kyler Murray or somebody like that? Yeah, and a team like that, it's much easier to build a team when you have a top five pick every year and you have more cap space and you know what to do with. I mean, it's not hard to draft elite to draft Jalen Ramsey. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. So we're, I got some more quarterback talk in store here with Mark. We'll be back in a moment. All right, you sent me a note about Nick Mullins. I did. I, I want to hear your thoughts on him. I mean, I wonder it's, if he's available. I mean, he'd be a I mean, very stable backup for an injury-prone quarterback. Yeah, Tell man, me about I it. Mean, what do you think? It, it, that might be the bigger question, and I kind of want to put that aside for the second um, because we don't know if he's going to be available, sure. so we can sort of work through that. But they've seen but it better, too. Yeah. 
uh, it's it's similar to the discussion we were just having, you know, our how teams can sort of approach the quarterback position. And again, coming from a Patriots perspective, wondered about life after TB12. Would Mullins makes more sense for them than chasing after one of these guys in the draft? And so I rewatched all of his stuff over the past couple of days, sort of oh, cool. studying Nick Mullins, and you see sort of some of the boxes that the Patriots seem to value at the quarterback position. I think a lot of teams value at the quarterback position. You might Including call them Shanahan. Some of the non-negotiables. Yeah. I mean, there's a reason why, reason why Shanahan, you know, took a shot on him. You know, the accuracy, the quick release, you know, the timing and rhythm throws, the ability to sort of quickly decipher what a defense is doing, man versus zone, and getting some help in that sense. Both Shanahan and Josh McDaniels use motion to give that pre-snap cue, manipulating defenders with their eyes. And not just, you know, the free safety in the middle of the field, but like linebackers and stuff in space and things like that. You know, he checks a lot of those boxes. And you can see some similarities from the trait-based perspective in guys like Garoppolo and in guys like Tom Brady. Again, mm-hmm. not making a, a one-to-one right, one or right. one-to-two comparison, but you you're know, they, comparing they, them to the best that ever right. lived. You know, but that they're but stylistically those traits, yeah. Romo, you know? yeah, right? And, and so, you know, it would make some sense for some teams to at least call Shanahan and say, "Look, you've got three quarterbacks right now. You know, you, you've got Garoppolo, who we learned today is not going to participate in sort of the seven-on-sevens, but he's." It's a precautionary thing. He could do it, but they're going to wait until training camp starts, and he should be good to go. So you expect him back. You've got C.J. Beathard under contract through 2020, and you've got now Mullins on entering what will be the last year of his deal. And both Beathard and Mullins are pretty cheap. I mean, I think Mullins is like $540,000 wow. next year, and Steve. Beathard is like seven hundred and forty dollars or seven hundred and eighty. So you've got obviously the big money in Garoppolo, but you've got two relatively inexpensive backups. You know, if you're a team that might want to address quarterback and might want to get a guy in this draft class, but maybe misses out on the guy you want and you don't need him to start right away, I think you've got to call up Kyle Shannon and say, what would it take for one of these two guys? And I think if you're the 49ers, you know, you've only got Mullins under contract for one more year. You've got two more years of Beathard. You know, are these guys incredibly, you know, different? Is Mullins that much better than Beathard that you might want on a hand on to him? Maybe. You know, I didn't study Beathard in detail over the past couple of days, but I think it'd be worth exploring if you're Kyle Shanahan. Yeah. I hadn't thought of that angle until you sent me that note. And as we're sitting here talking it through, I would think the style of teams that makes that call about Mullins is the Patriots, the Chargers, the Saints, you know, sit behind a stud. Sort of have the guy for the next year or two, but maybe is going to need at least upgrade a QB2, which, look, we can all we just got done talking about the Eagles. It's clear that in today's NFL, you need two viable guys. You have to. I mean, if you mm-hmm. lose the top guy, you don't have a plan B, you're done. You know, ask the 2016 or 2015 Cowboys about that situation. And so I, I think that if you're in that sort of Chargers, Saints, you know, Patriots, there are probably some other teams you could look at, you know, both. Maybe you kick the tires on that. Another name to think about would be Denver. And maybe Nick Mullins isn't sort of, you know, Elway's type of quarterback. But their new offensive coordinator was, you know, Mullins' quarterback coach last season. So you know that there's going to be some schematic familiarity. You know, he'll know the system. I was struggling with that word there. (laughs) I wonder if Gruden would like him. I think that would make sense too. too. You know, I mean, still, got, it's not that threatening the the car. It's not that threatening car. It's not a situation where, let's face it, if Gruden goes out and drafts, say, a Daniel Jones, 
in the first round or a Drew Locke or stuns everybody and goes a Kyler Murray, which I think would be a stunner. You know, that's an immediate, immediate quarterback controversy. Right, right, right. But if you part with a, you know, a pick you know, or two or two or third yeah, rounder right. or something, whatever it would take to get Nick Mullins, nobody's thinking, oh, Gruden's going to turn over the ship here. But you've got a guy that I think would fit schematically with what you're doing. And if Carr does struggle, it's a guy that has NFL experience and stepped into a difficult-ish situation and had some success. And so, you know, Mullins is going to be an interesting name to watch. I'm surprised that he hasn't gotten more buzz, but I think people should explore that. And this is probably what will happen. A couple of guys will fall through at the combine. People will say, look, we got to look elsewhere for quarterback help. Maybe we'll hear him or Beathard some other guys talked about a bit more. Yeah, and my favorite one of those is Jacoby Brissett. People are probably tired of me. You know, yeah, well, <laughs> apparently, you know, Frank Wright today, you know, was like, look, we haven't had any conversations with anybody about him. You read there between the lines. They're not letting him go. Yeah, I don't you know, think Because so it does seem like, you know, he's a locker room guy. When they had that 0-5 start, that bad start, they had the players-only meeting, it was Jacoby Brissett who called it. It was He, he was behind it. And, you know, you see him running off the bench to celebrate with everybody in the end zone. Is is having a backup quarterback with a strong locker room presence a mandatory for a roster? No. But it's one of those things that if you've got it, it can't hurt. And it has helped. So you hold on to that guy, especially with Luck's history. I mean, who's to say he doesn't have a recurrence of the shoulder injury or take another hit? And now you need that guy to start again. I don't know if I ever told you this, and I'm not sure I've ever told my audience this. But a little birdie, and this birdie is very dialed in, and he told me that Brissett ended up in Indianapolis because that was a gift for Josh McDaniels. You know, like, Josh, you've been really good to me. The, you know, they had Jimmy at the time, too. We love Brissett. You don't know where the situation is. Luck, Josh, when you take the job and you become the Colts head coach, you have a guy that you can trust. And it wasn't at all an indictment of, we got to get him out of here. It was, right. and then McDaniels didn't take the job and it, it all fell through. But I think there was some behind the scenes things there to get Brissett in Indianapolis for McDaniels. I mean, the Patriots thought the world of him. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, the, the Parcells rules and the Parcells vouching for him and all that stuff like that carried some weight. And he stepped in. That short week, Thursday night game when Garoppolo went down and won a game for them against a Houston Texans team that, you know, was a good team, you know, and that was a win that the Patriots needed. And, yeah, he sort of laid an egg the next week against Buffalo, but they thought the world of them, that quarterback room with, you know, Brady, Garoppolo, and Brissett was a strong-knit group, a very handsome group of men, too. Let's not forget that. <laughs> not so bad, yeah. Guys, yeah. you know, the looks of the quarterback room, that can matter. But this was a – they liked him a lot, but – I think there might your birdie might have been onto something there, Matt. Yeah, yeah. I mean, these, these things happen. They're human beings, you know. They're um, human beings. They have relationships. They want to take care of people, right. and it's a close knit league. I mean, right. And it happens. could have been a very good situation for Brissett too. I mean, you yeah. can if luck doesn't return, that's a win win for everybody. So, just keep him on the back burner too. And I really like the Mullins call by you. That was a good conversation. Um, dude, this was fun. I'm going to wrap it oh, up it here. Fun. Yeah, let's get together next week. Next week we'll be back on our regular schedule. I think I'll be able to get a podcast to you guys Thursday and Friday. I actually ran into Sando in the medium ro- media room. I don't know if he's going to be able to record or not, but I will fo- definitely get something hooked up for you guys Thursday, Friday, and probably some more stuff to report from the Combine. This has been a blast. And, Mark, thanks again, brother. Thanks again, buddy. Enjoy the best that Indy has to offer. We'll chat next week, my friend. Yes, absolutely. And, folks, I, before we go, I have to tell you, and I've mentioned this the last couple of shows, that you really got to start using your smart device 
in the car. I mean, that's something we're really pushing on the Locked On Network. So not only this podcast, but Mark's Locked On Patriots, Locked On NFL Draft, Locked On whatever your favorite team is. But start using your smart devices in the car to use to, to, to check out the Locked On Network. Folks, that's a wrap. Over and out.